Winning the downturn with the information is supported by Intel. Across any business, PC users look to IT heroes to save the day. With Intel vPro, IT gets the powers of security, performance, manageability, and stability on a validated PC solution. Intel vPro, built for business. Welcome to Winning the Downturn, a limited series covering how tech startups and small businesses are adapting to the new economic reality. This year, we've seen companies react to interest rate hikes and slowing consumer demand by laying off staff and pulling back on other spending. This environment has also forced healthy conversations about how businesses should focus and what kind of software they should be using to win during this downturn. My name is Amir Efradi, executive editor at The Information, a subscription technology news publication. And in each episode, I'll be talking with leaders in all kinds of industries, from retail and mobility to healthcare and finance, about how they've navigated prior economic storms and what they're doing to survive the current one. Laura Speakerman runs my favorite type of business, software that does grunt work you never see, but which fills a critical role. Laura is a co-founder of Alloy, which helps banks and other financial institutions verify the identity of their customers. It's harder than you might think. Two years ago, we included Alloy in the Information 50, an annual list we publish of the most promising startups in different categories, including fintech. The funding boom for fintech startups has died down a lot since then. But because Alloy struggled during its first four years of existence, Laura and her team had the battle scars to prepare their company to survive this downturn. Laura and I talked about that path, Alloy's past mistakes, and what changes she's made this year to preserve her company's cash, including a helpful tip on saving money at industry events. Here's Laura. Tommy, Charles, and I, so they're my current co-founders, we were working together at this ACH Payments startup. And while we were there, we saw just how much of an issue identity verification was for companies trying to launch or scale financial products. So at the time, this was 2014, 2015, we saw that companies were trying to innovate in, for example, you know, Bitcoin wallets, lending platforms, brokerage platforms. And it was really tough to do if you couldn't validate someone's identity really easily. It meant that you were either kind of being non-compliant or taking on a lot of fraud, which is a terrible idea for, for obvious reasons, or you are sending your users, or the majority of your users, to a manual review process, which is a, obviously a terrible user experience, and you just tend to lose them in that experience. So did it just seem like there weren't a lot of companies focused on solving this particular problem as big as it was? That's right. We, we wanted to buy a product to use. We wanted the Stripe or the Plaid for identity verification, and it just didn't exist. So as we left that company, we said, this is a big problem. I don't think we really realized the extent of the problem. We thought this was a problem for fintech developers or fintech product managers only. We thought banks were um, we thought banks were good. I think little did we know banks are often in the worst position of all. Mm. And now you help hundreds of banks and other companies to do this, right? Yep. Today we serve over 300 customers, both banks and fintech companies manage their identity decisioning, including KYC and AML, risk and fraud. And how did, you, how did you do this? We started in 2015. In retrospect, I think we started the company too early. 
We started the company at a point where consumer fintech in particular was sort of on the decline. We'd seen that wave of alt lending startups kind of go boom and bust. There wasn't a ton of stuff being created at that point. It was sort of this lull in innovation and, of course, in funding in fintech. We were naive enough and kind of myopic enough to not really think about that. I think we also fundamentally believed that, of course, someday digital financial services was going to be the thing, right? Like you, our sort of naive take, um, naive, but but ultimately I think the correct take is like you look around of like, of course people are going to not be banking in branches forever. It just would take such a crazy imagination to think we're going to be doing that when we do everything else online. And so what we didn't contemplate, of course, was how long it would take for the funding cycle to come back for fintech, for real financial innovation to happen. And so we took us about three and a half, four years to really get any traction. And that was a combination of getting a few really good early reference clients, live, successful, and just really loving the product, and also for the market to change. So 2018-ish was when we started seeing more interest from community banks, regional banks who were trying to digitize, launch new digital products, launch new new neobanks, in fact, plus a ton of increased investment in consumer fintech and the rise of embedded fintech banking as a service platforms, which of course has played out over the last couple of years as the successful ones have scaled. So it took us four years to get to Series A, which I think in for our seed investors was the longest um, time any other companies has taken. And as far as your secret sauce, you have this API that your customers can tap into and call. Then you look at many, many data sources. Are you developing predictive models about a customer and being able to verify them based on that? Or what's the best way to explain how you do what you do? I struggle with this question a little bit because I think it's tempting to sort of fall into the, um, especially now the AI boom we're seeing, right? And say like everything is AI and we've learned Alloy's models are exactly predictive of, of a customer's behavior when it comes to fraud or compliance. But really the, the secret sauce is a few different things. One of it is not so secret. It's just this barrier to entry that is real, which is integrating 180 data sources sucks, right? It's like a lot of integration work that took us years and years to do. It's not rocket science, but it does take time and energy. More importantly, as we have worked with a number of these data sources, seen millions of entities, right, which is just our fancy word for applicants, small businesses or people coming through our system, we know what good looks like. That doesn't mean that we are putting out there, you know, an alloy score of 89 means you should open an account for this person. But what it means is that we know what data sources and what rules pertaining to those data sources are going to make the most sense. So we know that if you have your Centrelink or Secure threshold set at a certain level, or you use this particular combination of public records, email databases, phone databases, we know what will work better or worse for your demographic, your use case, your risk tolerance. And the real secret sauce is that it's fully adjustable on the fly. So you can make changes in seconds. You can A-B test things. You can split test things in a way that makes it really, really easy to constantly optimize for high conversion and low fraud. And that's important for a few reasons. One is that the environment is constantly changing, right? New data sources come out. There's going to be some new silver bullet fraud score next year. 
and the year after that, and the year after that. And so you always want to be able to optimize to have the best that's out there without having to go do the shopping yourself and the testing yourself. You also have regulatory changes that come down, I think, increasingly fast. And so you have to be able to react to those. And then lastly, fraud is just moving at the speed of light now, especially in the last two years post-pandemic or since the pandemic started. And you need to be able to react quite literally within minutes. And so you don't have time to say, okay, let's put this in our new, you know, our, our next engineering sprint to try to change this rule or shut out these customers. You have to be able to do it instantly. And the name Alloy, is that a reference to weaving all these different data sources and things together? Yeah, you got it. Most people don't figure it out that quickly, but that's exactly right. So let's talk about where your company is, is at today. How many employees do you have currently? A little over 300. How are they handling the post-pandemic or in-progress pandemic environment are you doing? hybrid work in office? What's your situation? We're doing sort of hybrid with a increasing office presence since this past summer. So what we found is that our team members, even those who were remote, really wanted to come back to the office, maybe not every day, or almost certainly not every day, but periodically. And so folks who are in the New York area come in two days a week or at least two days a week. And then those who are remote like myself come in either a week a month or a week a quarter, depending on sort of their team. And it's been great because we've prioritized in-person time together. It just takes a few different forms. And then we do things like retreats. We do team offsites. I think we've built a team that values in-person time together, but we also really value flexibility. And I think that's been hard to contemplate a five-day in the office work week uh, kind of ever again. So how do you maintain productivity in those times where people are are not physically together? What enables you to do that primarily? We observed that early in the pandemic, productivity rates for the most part actually went up. I'm not sure that that was a great thing. I think it had to do with the fact that people were stuck at home with not a whole lot else to do. Uh, For some folks, I think it was just obviously a really hard time depending on childcare situations, their own health situations, stress levels, et cetera. And so that wasn't true across the board. I think productivity has a lot to do with figuring out the right hybrid and in-person structure. And so there's different norms we've created around time blocks that are like no meeting times. And that's really much more obvious that you would do that at home versus team meetings, which are increasingly taking place in the office. But productivity is, you know, it's not something we relentlessly measure. It's pretty obvious, I think, over time who is succeeding and who's doing great work, which generally is not correlated with number of hours spent at their computers. A reminder that today's episode is supported by Intel. Across any business, PC users look to IT heroes to save the day. With Intel vPro, IT gets the powers of security, performance, manageability, and stability on a validated PC solution. Intel vPro, built for business. No product or component can be absolutely secure. Your costs and results may vary. Part of this process for us was asking a lot of different startups and SMBs about what they think they're doing well or where do they have gaps. Um, Analytics comes up a lot. Do you have any words of advice on analytics software? Yeah, we had a pretty failed attempt at BI for about a year. My lesson there was not about a particular good or bad software. It was that you have to completely prioritize it, understand who's responsible, understand all of the users, which are going to be probably by definition a varied group of people. You're going to have more technical or analytical audiences. You're also going to have way less technical or analytical audiences. And so you need to produce 
views of data that are consumable by a lot of different people. And that requires, I think, a lot of like interviewing, a lot of showing them dashboards and understanding what they actually need to see. And so we had a year where we built a bunch of stuff. No one used it. No one could really use it outside of a few data engineers. And it was a huge waste of time and money. So a year later, we switched to a more sophisticated software or a data warehouse and kind of analytics stack. Now we're using Looker and we have a team that really focuses on BI, but we have it split into both kind of the engineering aspect of it, which is obviously critical. We got to get data out of our data warehouse. And then we have the business user analysts who go and sit with and they, they in fact train, for example, our CSMs and understand what sort of views those CSMs need, what dashboards they need, and then how to interpret the data and make real life decisions based off of that data. So I think it's really about taking this end-to-end journey for one of your CSMs, for example. Ultimately, you need to be able to tell the client, hey, I noticed your usage is going way up this month. Let's talk about a new level of commitment, for example. Or what about a discount for this? And it just takes a lot more thought to actually figure out what they need. You can't just produce any sort of dashboard and trust that they're going to be able to understand what's going on. What about security or cybersecurity? Where are you at security-wise? I think for us, it was luckily... It didn't feel lucky at the time, I should say that. But it was one of the things that if you want to sell to banks in your startup, which we did pretty early on, 2016, we started this process, we had to have really good security. It was one of the things we didn't anticipate. So it ended up costing us way more money and time than we ever thought pre-launch especially. And we didn't really raise enough money to be able to do that. However, it's critical to get it right. And it made it much easier to sell to more banks and startups who started taking it, of course, more seriously throughout the last few years. So it's actually been sort of a an ROI positive investment for us, I would say, because it really does, it makes us look good in the sales process and it just shortens that sales cycle. This was before the great kind of SOC 2 vendors that are out there now. There's a few great companies now like Vanta and Strong DM. Early days, they didn't exist. And so we had to do it ourselves. Got it. We paid for a expensive third-party vendor to come in and help us do it. It took us months and I think hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now it's become a little bit of a competitive advantage as we were kind of early to market with a really good solution. In fact, we had things like a pandemic committee that we realized was formed as early as 2016. And of course, we thought some of this stuff was really silly. And then 2020 hits and we were fortunate to have a pandemic committee already. Oh, tell me about that. What, what, what do you mean by that? As part of our requirements when we work with banks especially or other financial institutions, there are a host of things, some of which really are very silly. They require you to have a paper shredder in your office, for example. We didn't have a piece of paper in the office. We certainly didn't need a paper shredder, but we went out and bought one because we had to pass. In this case, it was one of the credit bureau requirements, but that we needed that to work with the bank. But there were things like we had to have a pandemic committee certain committees focusing on cybersecurity. So we created all of these protocols and committees, and it's made it easier, even though, again, when we were 12 people and had $20 of revenue, it felt really silly to do. It made us really prepared, both on paper and in reality, as it turns out. So you you literally had, like, here's what our plan is if this happens, and here's what we're going to do for you to make sure the service can continue uninterrupted and so on. 
That's exactly right. So it prepares you for leaving the office, understanding what data and what machines are going to be used outside of the office and by whom, how you're going to control that, how you're going to talk to your clients, et cetera. In terms of marketing, that's one area where I think startups and SMBs think that they do a reasonably good job. How does marketing, paid marketing, fit into what you do? Is that important or has it been primarily just sales-based calls and referrals and things like that? We do have marketing in looking at especially our inbound, which is pretty strong. It's largely built off of our brand, our community, word of mouth, referrals, that kind of leads. We have done some paid marketing, but it largely focuses on events, content, community building, things like roundtables, for example, where are they're just touch points with our community. We don't rely as heavily on demand gen programs like SEO and AdWords. We certainly use them, but it's not something that fuels the majority of our business or our inbound. So obviously you're venture capital backed, but given that you started in what you refer to as almost like a, a fintech winter, and given that now we are in this kind of downturn in in some in some ways, consumer demand falling off in certain ways as well. How are you positioned now going forward? Did you have the same kind of preparedness for this moment? What can you share about cutting spending in any way? Are you cutting headcount in any way? What, what have you been doing and how did you prepare for this moment and what will see you through? So I think we have both headwinds and tailwinds in this moment. And I think even that puts us in a better position than a lot of startups, especially in fintech. So the headwinds are obvious, which is that fintech took a little nosedive earlier this year. Crypto, obviously, same thing. That has been difficult for us, particularly in our early stage fintech business, which is a smaller part of our revenue, but a really important one because we believe that's where a lot of the growth will come from. And it's also part of why we started the company was to support early stage fintech companies. And that's been tough. We've tried there to just be as accommodating as we can, understanding that we believe this is a, as you described it, a winter. That's temporary by nature. We don't know how long it'll last and we're out of the worst of it right now, but we want to be able to help these businesses survive right now and ultimately grow for the ones that are able to make it. The tailwinds are real though. They're on a little bit longer of a time horizon than the, the headwinds are, unfortunately but they're real. So one of them is that fraud's just been on the rise the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic. That has meant that both fintech companies and banks are increasingly trying to figure out how to mitigate and prevent fraud. And so they're on the hunt for tools like Alloy to help them do that. Second is that this is a time as people are thinking about cutting headcount or doing layoffs, they're no longer in a position to think about building versus buying. So right now, their choice is to buy. And we make that a lot easier. Of course, we always, you know, in a very biased way, think that buying is always the right choice. But, you know, if you were going to have 10 engineers try to build this, you no longer have that option. And so that's the kind of other tailwind in our favor. For Alloy itself, we are lucky to have raised a bunch of money. So we raised a Series C last year. We raised a little bit more money about a month ago, two months ago. So we're in a very healthy cash position, which means we've really avoided the majority of the kind of trauma that other fintech companies have had in the last few months. That doesn't mean we're being reckless. We have been a lot more prudent with spending, I would say. And it's actually in a way that I think my co-founders and I have really loved in certain ways. It's, I don't know, maybe a little bit masochistic, but I think trimming the fat and putting constraints on ourselves when it comes to hiring and 
spending in general has made us more creative and more scrappy. So we've actually really liked some of what's come out of it. doesn't mean we always love it. Of course, there are hires we would love to make if we just didn't have to be conscious about the environment right now. But it's just made us a lot more creative. How does that manifest itself? One example, just from the top of my head since I was in Vegas last week for this conference. So instead of spending what would have been hundreds of thousands of dollars on a booth because you have to buy the booth and you have to fit it out and make it fancy. We decided to rent out a little restaurant next door. It turned out to be fantastic. So it was probably half the cost and was much better because it was had all the foot traffic. It gets all the people who didn't actually have tickets to the conference, which is you know, probably half the folks there. So I think it ended up being a better fit for us ultimately, both for foot traffic and kind of the actual leads we wanted, plus a better fit for our brand. And so I, I there are certain things like that where we think cutting some of those budgets has actually led to better outcomes. Really, really appreciate the time and walking us through what you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Winning the Downturn, brought to you by The Information and supported by Intel. Stay tuned for a Spotlight segment with Kate Porter, an Intel Senior Director. Small and medium businesses looking at vPro, they're going to ask themselves, how is this going to help me grow or grow faster? How is it going to help me with analytics? How is it going to help me with any of my decision-making or payments or other issues that I have to think about to, to grow? What's your answer to that? One of the things we have spent a lot of time doing is we look at the workloads that real businesses are running on their PCs. And that helps us examine our hardware architecture to make sure that we understand how these experiences come to life in the real world. And it's not as simple as running one application singularly on a device. Right now, I think I have about 10 different windows open. And those are just the ones I can see. And I'm sure my IT team has a number of things running in the background. And what's wonderful about Intel vPro PCs based on the latest 12th gen architecture is that it looks at that workload and it's intelligently allocating where each of those tasks is being run so that my user experience continues to be elevated. And I can have a secure device with background IT tasks running and yet still be able to stream with confidence, video collaborate, multitask with Excel and Power BI running in the background. That's the type of experience that we are aimed to deliver on these devices. And so how it helps small businesses is especially in this period of uncertainty and scarcity, they're having to make choices about where they're going to put these technology resources. And so as they're assessing their employees' environments, I would encourage all small business leaders who are looking at their top-line, top-growing employees, whether that's your sales leaders, your business development managers, those folks who play an outsized role in changing the trajectory of your top line, Make sure that they're the ones that are enabled with these latest generation of technology so that they've got the confidence to go out and close new deals, even if that's with another partner, a state away, right? Having that confidence to show up on camera, to have the audio clarity, to deliver that message, making sure that those people are empowered with the right tech tools is going to go quite, quite a long ways to growing your business. Beyond those folks, I would also say pay close attention to those individuals that have access to sensitive customer and employee data. So if that's your accounting team, 
or again, your sales team, making sure that their security processes, the technology that they're using day in, day out is putting you in a confident posture to be able to protect those data sources. Um, in the Again, in this period of uncertainty and scarcity, those populations in your workforce, those that are growing your top line, those that have the direct access to sensitive customer data, those would be the places where we've definitely prioritized a lot of our focus. Um, and I'd encourage business leaders to examine. Winning the Downturn is produced by Studio Pod Media. Our producer is Sterling Shore. Our show coordinator is Nicole Genova, and our executive producer is TJ Bonaventura. Special thanks to John Brierly and Julie Kerner from The Information. My name is Amir Efrati. See you next time.